No one likes to run. Seriously, anybody like to run? I'm not going to point you out. Okay, there's a few in the younger sections over here that like to run. I used to love to run. I used to love to run. I was, in, um, I was on the cross-country team. Now I like to eat. I like to eat a lot. So that's another sermon for another day. But um, there's something kind of intriguing to me about, about running. Um, different kinds of runners have different kind of races. Who remembers seeing a guy named Usain Bolt? Anybody know Usain Bolt? That guy could run, man. He's so, so fast. I remember watching that one race where he broke the world record in the Olympics. It looked like he was even slowing up at the end, and he still had a world record. Just amazing the ability that he had to to run like that. You have people that can run sprints, and they look like they run sprints. Then you have people who are marathoners. Anybody here ever run a marathon? Anybody? There's Okay, we got one. That's cool. Oh, okay. oh, yeah, you guys did recently. That's cool. Uh, that's amazing. Marathoners um, are pretty incredible. I was reading this week about from Runner's World. They actually uh, record, um, they keep records of the world's fastest marathoners. And a guy named Kelvin Kiptum right now, he's from Kenya. In fact, if you look at all of the um, folks that, uh, that have the records, almost all of them are from Africa. It's amazing. But um, this guy has the world's fastest men's marathon time right now of two hours flat and 35 seconds, running 26 miles in two hours and 35 seconds. Is that pretty fast? That's, let me give you the idea here. That is a four minute, 36 seconds per mile. That's the pace that he's going. That's That's amazing. It takes me four minutes and 36 seconds to do a whole lot of things that aren't a mile, right? That is unbelievable. Um, The woman's times are also impressive. In fact, out of the top 10 fastest times um, for the men, eight out of the 10 were within the last four years of recording. That's amazing. The oldest one still on the top 10 is from 2014. The women's times are very impressive too. The fastest women's time was by... Tagist Asefa from Ethiopia. Her finish time was two hours and 11 minutes and 53 seconds, which is a pace of five minutes and one second uh, per, or five, yeah, five minutes and one second per mile. And she set that record. Both of the records have been set in 2023. It's an amazing thing. To run like that, that fast for that long is not easy. Who agrees with me? Who thinks they can get five minutes in one mile? I can't do it for one mile. To do that for 26 is unbelievable. I'd lose to all the women if I was in that. You guys are not surprised by that. Um, It's not an easy thing to do either one, to sprint or to run a marathon. To run at that level, there's an attention to running schedules, eating schedules, clothing, hydration, what shoes you wear. I'm sure people at that level pay attention to their bodies. They make sure they can run. It's just an amazing thing uh, to run at that level. Today, we're going to find ourselves in Hebrews chapter 12. We finished Hebrews 11 last week, and we find ourselves in Hebrews chapter 12. And as Brother Chris read to us in that text, we're told that we're in a race, or at least that we should be. The preacher says in verse 1, let us run the race. You see that the very last uh, part of that verse, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, while it may be that the author of Hebrews had an affinity for athletics, 
I do not believe here that he's speaking of physically running. And all God's people said, yeah, are you guys happy that we're not going to go run around the building after this? That'd be, that would be horrible. Um, but in this, what he's talking about here is not a physical race. He compares our lives, the lives that we live, the Christian life, to a race. It's a spiritual race. The truth is, this spiritual race affects every part of our lives. In fact, in a very real way, the race is our lives. In these first two verses, we're compelled to run this race really well. We're given incredible practical thinking in this chapter about what it looks like to live for God, to run this race. And the beginning metaphor in this chapter is this idea of a race. So here's what I want you to know. Every believer alive today is running a spiritual race. You're in a race. We will run well when we consider these factors given to us in Hebrews chapter 12. Let's look first of all, the first factor is this, the motivation for the race. The motivation for the race. If you're taking notes in your bulletin, it'll be right there. You can fill in that blank motivation. And that is a cloud of witnesses. It says right here in verse one, wherefore seeing also, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, here he uses the illustration of a stadium full of those who have gone before and been faithful. How many guys watched the atrocity that was the game yesterday? And what I mean by the game is the Ohio State versus the bad guys. Who, who watched that? And the bad guys won. For now, right? I'm joking. We love people from Michigan. They need Jesus. So we love them. Did you see the stadiums? Yesterday was rivalry day all over. I watched the Florida State, Florida game. That's, I'm a Florida State fan. And, and then we, there's people everywhere. And that's kind of the picture here. He says, you're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. It's this picture. He says later on, well, let's run the race. So you have this picture of all of these people. Now, who are in the stands? What is he talking about? Well, he just went through Hebrews chapter 11. Write this down. Hebrews 12 comes after Hebrews 11. And Hebrews 11 is a recounting of the faith that, that all of these people from the Old Testament and even people beyond the Old Testament had in God. It says that the just shall live by, by faith. That's exactly right. The preachers just take us on a tour of Old Testament history and the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy that points to Jesus. If you look at it back in Hebrews 11, in verse 4, he says, by faith, Abel. He talks about by faith, Enoch. You had Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel. And then he goes on and talks about women that received their dead to life. So all of those, all of those characters, all those names that we um, named, if you've been in Sunday, who remembers flannel graph in Sunday school? Before, after flannel graph, we had veggie tales. And so, you know, Judas is a carrot. I don't think that was a character. Anyway, you have all these different, uh, that's not a character, by the way. Um, you have all these different characters that we remember from that Old Testament. So many of them had names. But then he gets to verse number uh, 35, and he begins to talk about, look at Hebrews 11, verse 35. He says, he talks about uh, 
quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong. Verse 35, women received their dead raised to life again. Others were, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, they, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourging. Yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment, they were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And, all, and these all, having obtained a good report through what? Through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Here he describes, he had described all these named people, but then there's all kinds, those aren't the only people that had faith. Do you, do you agree? Not just the named ones, even the unnamed ones. And those people are like us. God says that we are justified by what? Faith, not by works, we're justified by faith. And so as he talks about the stadium, there's all these people that some we would recognize, but there's also some that we don't even know their names. Aren't you grateful for all the people that lived for the Lord and even suffered and died and were martyred for Jesus to get the gospel all the way to us? Aren't you glad for that? There's part of the motivation for running then is to do honor to those who have run before. He's pointing out, seeing that you have this great cloud of witnesses, all these people who, who live lives of faith before, let us run with patience the race that says before us. There's a motivation there to the run. The question comes though from the phrase, are they witnessing how we are living now? Or are they witnesses to us of how to live a life of faith? Somebody say, Pastor Ben, do you think David and Enoch and Noah and Abraham, do you think that they know what's going on in our lives now? And you know what my answer is? I don't know. I don't know exactly. I hope they don't see everything I do, right? Because anybody here like me, you mess up, you sin. And I know heaven wouldn't be a great place if you knew about all the sin that was going on. You had intimate details of that. I do know, though, that they are a witness to us for sure. Have you ever been motivated by reading what those people went through and thinking, man, God, that same God that helped them helps me? That's an amazing thing. They certainly have been a witness to us about what it means to run the race by faith. I believe that the fact that the examples he uses at the end of Hebrews 11 become nameless and faithless means that it could include people who have since died. I think of people that have gone on before in Christ during our recent past. Um, sometime after I became the pastor here at, at the church, um, someone mentioned to me about a time capsule that was behind the fireplace and the memorial stone in the foyer. Right out here we have a, a fireplace and on the other side of it there's this memorial stone. And with the anniversary coming up next week, by the way, are you excited about that? I'm so excited. Um, come next week, we're going to have a blast. I'm so excited about celebrating not all these other people. We're glad in honoring all these people, but we're, we're, we're grateful to who? God, for his faithfulness. He's the one that's done this, and so we're so excited about that. But um, with this anniversary coming up, I thought it'd be a good time for us to find out what was behind in that time capsule. I had no idea what was going to be in there. I didn't know what was, uh, was a box, what was in there. So we, we since found out the other day, um, Brother Al and Paris came in and they chiseled out behind that, um, behind that, uh, what do you call that? 
thing, memorial stone. They did that. They cut it out. And what was in there was a stack of letters. And a bunch of you, some of you wrote letters to the future. I didn't know when we were supposed to open it. I just thought, okay, we'll open it now. Okay. And the letters that came in, this, this is like one of the letters that came in. There was a stack of them. Go back real quick. So one of the letters said Trinity Baptist Church on it. And so because it wasn't written specifically to a family, it's, it was written to our church. I opened it. And inside there was a letter. Go back. Stop going forward. <laughs> there was a letter. There's the articles of faith that was printed a while ago. And then there was a track that was written by Gene Milioni. I looked at the track and it looks a lot like the blue track that I brought when I started and very similar. But then there, then there was a letter. Okay. And in that letter, it said, it was marked March 19th, 2000. And what I figured out was, I didn't know this, but all the letters were addressed to 2025. So we opened it early. It's like every kid wants to do on Christmas, right? We opened it early, but all right. But it said, to whomever the pastor will be in 2025 of Trinity Baptist Church, be honest with God's word, preach it without fear or favor. Love people, be evangelistic. And close with this letter, you'll find our statement of faith and church covenant. Stick with them, they're scriptural. Gene Milioni, president and only pastor for the past 47 years. Isn't that cool? That is a cool thing. He was pastor there three more years after he wrote this. And uh, I'm grateful. You know what that did for me? I got pumped. I got excited because God's been faithful. He was faithful to him. And that same God is going to be faithful to us. Isn't that amazing? And he was a lot less wordy than I am, apparently. My letter would have been a lot longer. But that's just an amazing thing. Who's, who's excited about what God has done in the past? I think about, there's a guy named Wendell Carell. I've talked about him often. He, he really poured into my dad. He poured into me. Wendell Carell, dad said, Pastor Carell, when he was working for him, he'd get to a place where it'd be second or third day, middle of the week, and he would just get to the place where, you know what? He'd tell the secretary, I'm gonna leave, I'm going, and I'm not gonna come back until I'm able to share the gospel with somebody. And he'd just get in his car and he'd go find somebody to share the gospel with. Who, who thinks that's amazing? What an incredible thing. And, and in a sense, not just, not only did Paul and, let's go back to those names, David, Abel, Sarah, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, not only did they hand the baton off, the baton of faith, but men like this have done that in our day. And man, that motivates me. They've handed us the baton. Will we drop it? We will, will we mess up? Will we lose our faith? Will we lose heart? They endured. God was faithful to them. He's going to be faithful to us. We need to be faithful to him, to God. Is there a biblical example that, re, that you relate to that motivates you to stick to what's true and to do what's right? Is there someone in your past, maybe someone's even gone to heaven, who wanted you to be faithful and to finish the race faithfully? This can be our motivation for the race. Hey, they, they did it. We can do it too. So we see here the first factor, the motivation for the race is those cloud of witnesses. Number two, the preparation for the race. This is so important. This may be where the most 
preaching needs to be done in this, in this sermon. He says this, seeing then we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. You know, when a runner runs, they don't usually wear a suit. When a runner runs, they don't wear overalls. When you go to the Olympics and you see, they don't wear heavy boots. When you go to the Olympics, you see those guys run. They have such light clothing. Running shoes are not known for being heavy. They're known for being light and tough. The runner tries to get rid of everything that could weigh them down during the race, including even their own body weight. You don't see a lot of overweight sprinters, right? They're getting rid of everything that's going to slow them down during that race. And certainly sin can weigh us down and keep us from running a good race. That's obvious. It's not a controversial point. Sin can certainly take people off course. Have you seen it? Drunkenness, addiction, sexual sin, gossiping. Has gossip ever ruined relationships and messed people up? Pride, arrogance, here's one, prayerlessness, and so many more sins. There's so many things that can weigh us down, that can keep us from running well. And what do you do with sin like that? What do you do with sin? The first thing you do is if you're not saved, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ and his payment on the cross for you for sin, you're yet in your sins, the Bible says. You're lost and Jesus Christ died on the cross. God poured out his wrath for your sin on Jesus so that you don't have to pay for that because Jesus already has. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, not believing that he died for you, but trusting in the fact that he died for you, not just believing that it happened, but trusting in it, for your salvation. The Bible says you're saved, that he remembers your sin no more. Isn't that awesome? Who's excited about that? We can go to heaven not because there's no more. The, the sin's already been paid. But, but after you get saved, you're still gonna sin. And that's all about your relationship with God. So when you sin after you're saved, it's not that you're asking God to make you one of his kids. You're already one of his kids, but you wanna have a good relationship with him. And you want sin to keep you from getting off track. And so what do you do when you sin? You confess it. There's this great word, repentance. Repentance is agreeing with God about my sin. That means the way that God sees my sin is how I see my sin. The way that God feels about my sin is the way that I feel about my sin. Are you with me? You know how serious God takes sin? God became flesh and dwelt among us. And he died on the cross. And God poured out his wrath for his arson on Jesus. He takes it very seriously. So we should take it seriously too. But the cool thing is, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so he says here, let's lay aside our sin like a weight. But you know what? He distinguishes here between weights and sins. For certainly sin is a weight, but he also says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. You know, there are weights that are not necessarily immoral, but that could, be, excuse me, that could become so when they keep us from running the race. 
I believe these ways can be anything that could cause us to lose focus and to prioritize and to prioritize maybe the good over what's best. You know, we live in a culture that is full of distraction. Have you noticed this? We are entertained. In an, I mean, you could watch show after, you could spend all your time watching TV. You could spend all your time getting good at things that 100 years from now, 200 years from now, seriously, 10 years, it won't matter. It won't matter. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have fun. I'm for fun. Who's for fun? I'm for fun. Let's have fun today. I'm for fun. But too much fun, too much focus on being entertained can take us off track and keep us from what's most important. We can give our lives to things that are not necessarily sinful, but could keep us from running the race well. So let me ask you a question. Is there anything in your life that's not necessarily inherently wrong, but it's distracting you from truly living for Christ? Are you making a sacrifice of the best on the altar of the good? Paul said, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. These are the kinds of things I'm talking about. The preparation for the race happens when we realize, hey, I'm in a race. I got to get rid of any sin that's keeping me from running well. And I got to examine my life for things that are weighing me down. Why? Well, because there's a third factor referenced here in verse one. It says, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Here we see number three, the mentality for the race. The mentality for the race is that word, you see it? Next, next screen there. And let us run with, what's the word? Patience. Run. Run. What do I mean? Sometimes we don't even realize we're in a race. He says, the race is set before you. Where you live is not an accident. Where you go to school is not an accident. The neighborhood you live in is not an accident. The abilities that you've been given are not an accident. The spiritual gifting that God has given to you, if you know Christ as your Savior, God did it on purpose. And we're called, we are called to live right now. Like, how do you know? You're alive right now. The Bible says in Acts that God set forth the times before appointed and the boundaries of our habitation that we should seek the Lord, though he be not far from any one of us. God has placed you where you are and when you are for a reason. There's a race that's been set before you. Run the race. Don't sit on the sideline. Live for the Lord. Are you, guys, you guys are not excited today. <laughs> Tryptophan, is that what it is? Tryptophan, the turkey stuff. Are you awake? We've got a race to run. And it matters how we live. It matters how we live. So run. We've been called to be on mission with this vision for the world. We're not dismissed. We're sent. There's a race to run. We've been handed the gospel. We've been given the great commission. So run. But how do we run? It says we run with a certain attitude, a certain mentality. What's the run? How do we run? We run with Patience. The word here for patience is like the word endurance. Life is not a sprint. Life is a marathon. Now, the truth is we don't know when the race ends for any one of us. We could die. 
you could die this week. The, the word here is patience. It, it's this idea of endurance, and endurance takes sustainability. What do I mean? When we keep those weights and sin in our lives, it keeps us from running for a very long time. There are certain things that will cause us not to make it. That means that even small decisions in our lives could impact hugely in our lives later. I was on a cross-country team, and you can tell it was a long time. It was in the 90s. You can tell. It's been a while. And our cross-country, I don't know why he would do this, but we would go to a meet, and the meet would be later on in the day. And so we, we would have dinner. He took us to Burger King before the cross-country meet. You know where this is going, don't you? I, I had a fish sandwich. I'll just stop the illustration there. Small decisions can impact the run. Who agrees with me? When you make decisions, it can impact how you run. You know what a marathon demands? That's just three miles. I was a wimp. You know what a marathon demands? It, it demands encouragement. People cheering you on. I, I, who agrees? A marathon demands preparation. You better prepare. You better have the right clothes. You better have the right, the right shoes. You better have the right knees, right? You better have the right body ready for that. You don't just get off the couch and go run a marathon, you got to prepare for it. And it demands patience. It demands endurance. Don't quit. Running for the Lord is a marathon. Don't quit. Don't quit. Who needs to hear it over here? Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Man, there's a bunch of people who quit. Don't quit. Edgar Albert Guest wrote this poem called Don't Quit. When things go wrong as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high and you want to smile but you have to sigh, when care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Life is weird with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns. And many a fellow turns about when he might have won had he stuck it out. Don't give up, though the pace seems slow. You may succeed with another blow. Often the goal is nearer than it seems to a faint and faltering man. Often the struggler has given up when he might have captured the victor's cup. And he learned too late when night came down how close he was to the golden crown. Success is failure turned inside out, the silver tendon of the clouds of doubt. And when you never can tell how close you are, it may be when it seems afar, so stick to the fight when your heart is tit. And it's when things seem worst, you must not quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Did Jesus quit on us? No, he did not. In fact, that's the other factor. We have the motivation for the race, those people that have gone before. We've got a preparation for the race, laying aside every weight. We've got a mentality for the race, patience, endurance. Man, but we got a focus for the race. Are you ready? It's Jesus. It says this. How do we, how do we run this race? Looking unto 
Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. All of those people who have gone before are faithful witnesses, but none of them come close to Jesus. Who's greater, Jesus or Moses? Jesus or David? Jesus is greater. That's the point of the whole series, the book of Hebrews. He is the author of our faith. This means that it begins and ends with Jesus. He created us. You know, Jesus created us. Jesus cre- he, he, didn't ex- he didn't start to exist at Christmas, at his birth. He, ble- he, he, he existed before that. He was active in creation. He created us, but he also redeems us. Through faith in him, we will one day be glorified. It started with him. He is the finisher of all faith. It all culminates in Jesus. It's all about him. It's all for him. Are you with me? He is the author and the finisher of our faith. Why are we looking to him? Well, how did he run? How did he run? He says this, who for the joy that was set before him, what's the next word? Endured. Who agrees? That's a lot like patience. Let's run with endurance. Let's run with patience. The race that's set before us. He did that too. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. The course is set before us. The joy was set before him. What was it? It was pleasing his father and redeeming a lost people to himself. What did running the look The race looked like for Jesus. It says it right here. He endured the cross. He certainly did not enjoy the cross. He prayed in the garden. What did he pray? That the cup would pass from him. But he also said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He didn't enjoy the cross. He endured the cross, despising the shame. That's the second part. He despised the shame. You know, Jesus, when he was on the cross, he hung there naked. What a cruel thing. He hung there naked. Yet at the end, what did he say? He said, tetelestai. It is, you got it, finished. The work of our atonement had been completed. He's the finisher of our faith. Do you want to know? an example of not quitting, when life is hard and suffering is felt, when it seems like you can't go one more step, when you're tempted to think that God can't possibly feel the way you feel, remember that Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. Isaiah said that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He bore the weight of our sin. He bore the wrath of God for us, for the joy that was set before him. What was that joy? He was obedient and he glorified his father and he redeemed a people for himself from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Salvation is now offered to all people. Talk about joy. You can look at anybody in the face and says, God loves you. Jesus died for you. If you put your faith and trust in him, you can become one of his kids. You can go to heaven. Talk about joy. You know, when you have this picture of like, Enduring, the, enduring a cross and that producing joy. Jesus talks about in the end times that he, he describes the tribulation period going to his coming. 
as birth pangs and intense, all kinds of these difficult things that produces. It's like having a baby. There's pain that produces a birth and joy. Has anybody ever experienced that? Pregnancy was hard for me. Yeah, it was really tough. Seeing my wife in all that pain, it was hard. But at the end, there's a baby. A bundle of joy. (laughs) And the Bible says that he endured the cross, despising the shame, because of the joy that was set before him. And that's going to happen again one day. There's going to be suffering and Jesus come back for us and then we'll come back and rule and reign with him. It's going to be amazing. The focus of our race ought to be Jesus. I want to run like he ran. The finish of the race. Are you ready? This is going to be fun. Where is it? Heaven. What does it say about Jesus? He sat down at the right hand of God. Looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Go back to Hebrews chapter 1. I'll remind you of verses 1 through 3. God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his, by who? By his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. Talking about Jesus. When he had by himself purged our sins. What's that? How did he do that? On the cross. What did he do? He sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than than they. Where Jesus ends up is in heaven. And one day... Those of us who know him, when we finish our race, where will we be? If you're on Jesus' side, you're on the winning side. Sometimes we don't end up on the winning side. Who remembers yesterday? Right? But when we, when we follow and our focus is on Jesus and he becomes the aim of our race and we're in him, what does that mean? That means one day I'm going to heaven. One day I'm going to finish the race. We're going to cross that finish line and we're going to be with him, the author and the finisher. He is victorious. Who wants to win the race? I want to win. Run so that you may win, the Bible says. And he has purchased that victory. He is now with God. He's where we're going to be. He's where we should long to be. And now he lives to ever make intercession for us. He is seated in victory. Tetelestai. It is finished. 
Christ is our ultimate example. Christ exemplifies endurance. Christ exemplifies focus. Christ, ex Christ exemplifies finishing. He exemplifies obedience. And so every believer alive today is running a spiritual race. We will run well when we consider these factors. First, the motivation for the race. There's a cloud of witnesses. Second, the preparation for the, for the race. Is there some stuff you got to get rid of? Lay aside every weight. The mentality for that race is patience, endurance. The focus is Jesus, and the finish is heaven with him forever. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me?